Um, well, let me tell you a little tidbit of Bible trivia. Um, this comes from late last year. Um, Bible Gateway uh, is one of the most popular uh, websites where you can read the Bible. Um, and it puts out a list at the end of each year, listing the verses that were read, highlighted, uh, bookmarked, favorited the most. <coughs> Uh, for many years, the top spot on that list went to John 3.16, uh, but last year it actually changed. Uh, apparently, the internet's new favorite verse is Jeremiah 29.11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Uh, the ironic thing about all this, um, of course, is that as, as this verse becomes increasingly popular, it also seems to be increasingly inaccurate. Less and less Christians are experiencing welfare and a hopeful future. Uh, more and more Christians are experiencing evil, hardship and heartache. Uh, we know this, of course, from our own experience and also from news around the globe. Um, the Christians' lives are in- becoming increasingly difficult. Um, Christians are becoming hated uh, and oppressed more and more Um, sometimes for legitimate reasons, but more often just because uh, we believe in the Bible, uh, because we're aligned with God. Um, Now the context of Jeremiah 29 gives us a clue about this. Um, It comes in the middle of a long list of of, uh, ways that things will get worse for God's people, Israel. Um, And as verses like John 15, 19, which says the world hates you, 2 Timothy 3, 12, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, And James 1 verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, These verses show that the message of the Bible um, is is indeed that the Christian life is full of opposition and hardship. But still, knowing that beforehand hardly makes it easier to experience it for real. Um, And as we... Uh, Here in Australia, we've had a a lot of freedom for a long time now, but as we start to feel the pinch more and more, uh, we're now learning just how hard and painful these truths are, especially uh, when many remember a time when the hatred of the world was less pronounced. Um, So with that in mind, we're going to study this morning Psalm 69, as I've said. Um, I've entitled this sermon, The Cry of a Man Hated for God's Sake, uh, because that's what this psalm is. Um, We've already listened um, to part of it sung this morning, um, and I think uh, that rendition brings out a lot of the the tone and emotion that David would have felt as he wrote this psalm. Um, And because we've heard that and because of how long this psalm is, um, I'm not going to read it out right now. Um, I'll read it out a couple of verses at a time as we go through it. Um, But before we do that, before we start uh, looking and studying into this psalm, let's just pray to God. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before your word this morning, we pray that you would help us. Uh, Lord, this is a hard topic. Um, It's a hard passage in places, and Lord, it brings to mind um, hard experiences that many of us have experienced. Lord, I pray that this passage would bring hope, um, that it would bring peace, uh, and that it would show us Christ. Um, Lord, I pray that reading your word would help us deal with the hardship that we face for your sake. pray that this would be the case, especially for those who feel 
who relate to this psalm especially keenly. Um, And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We're going to spend most of our time this morning looking at how David expressed the pain he felt in the words of this psalm. And we'll look at that through three sections. Uh, We're going to first read his desperate desperate cry to God out of the midst of that pain. And then we'll uh, read about how he asks God to bring about justice. Um, And thirdly, we'll look at the hope that he had as he brought his concerns before God. Um, After we look at that, we'll uh, look at the... Uh, how this psalm also talks about Jesus' suffering and the hatred that he endured himself. Um, And finally, we'll spend some time applying it to our own lives. Um, And we'll ask how we can echo some of the sentiments that David felt in this psalm. Um, And uh, if you've got the new sheet today, you'll uh, you'll find that outline on the back of it, as usual. Uh, So first of all, let's look at Psalm 69 as as a psalm of David. What does David himself say in this psalm? Well, let's start with David's cry of desperation. Uh, That's the first section. Uh, His desperate cry for help from God forms more than half of this psalm, the first 21 verses, in fact. Um, And we see from the very first verses exactly how David is feeling. Starting in verse 1, I'll read, uh, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for God. These three verses paint a vivid picture. Uh, David is drowning in flood waters that are too deep for him to feel the bottom, too muddy for him to swim. All his strength is spent, his voice is hoarse, his eyesight is failing because of how long and how desperately he's been calling for help. Uh, With the massive floods in Queensland earlier this year, you can imagine someone in the middle of the outback uh, who's been swept up by a flood and has spent hours trying to stay afloat and call for help. As the daylight fades, his muscles weaken and his throat is sore. Um, And so the nagging despair that he might never be found grows and grows and the situation becomes more and more desperate. And that's how I'm feeling, says David. He's a man broken to the point of desperation. Um, And so we ask, uh, what brought him to this point that he would describe himself in such a way? Uh, Well, let's read verse 4 which tells us more in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who would attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. Uh, In this verse we start to get a taste of what David's actually going through. Um, Of course the the image that I explained before is figurative, Uh, but now we start to read what David is actually experiencing. Many mighty people, he says, hate him for no good reason. They're spreading terrible lies about him, making out as though he stole something of theirs and that he must give it back. Uh, Now, we don't know exactly what event in David's life this refers to, um, but he does give us enough information that we understand what's going on and that we can even fully relate to what he's feeling. 
Uh, to help us understand what's going on, uh, he gives us some more details uh, down in verses 7 to 12. So I'm going to just skip ahead a little bit to that, to, to read verses uh, from verse 7 onwards. We'll start with verse 7. Um, David says, It is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. <clears throat> um, now we know that this is a prayer, of course, and that uh, therefore the, the you that he's saying there is directed at God. And so this verse tells us that all the oppression that we've read about in verse 4 is for God's sake. David is being persecuted not because he's a jerk or because he's uh, doing something sinful towards other people, but because he's associated with God. Uh, In verses 8 to 12, then, he gives a few concrete examples. Uh, Let me read those. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. Zeal for your houses consume me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. In verses 8 and 9 there, his passion for God's temple has led to estrangement from his family. In verse 10, his humility and sadness before God led to others looking shamefully upon him. And in verses 11 and 12, uh, his penitence towards God led to people uh, making fun of him, everyone from the city leaders talking at the gates down to the drunkards making rude songs about him. (coughs) And now you might notice the word reproach comes up quite a lot in this passage. Uh, the NIV translates it as insult, um, but the idea is, I guess, a little bit more deeply hurtful than just calling David names. Our uh, approach is, uh, is technically when someone call, uh, says something to shame someone else. Uh, now, this could actually be uh, deserved, um, and it could be like a public rebuke in that sense. Um, but of course, as we've uh, been studying here in Psalm 69 already, the context clearly tells us that it's undeserved. David does not deserve this shame that people are bringing on him. Um, And so you could sort of think of it like the legal idea of defamation um, as something that someone says to unfairly damage another person's reputation. Um, Of course, as I've said, there's no mistaking how unfair this is according to David. Uh, If we look back in verse 5, David does know that he's a sinner and he has no intentions of hiding that before God. Uh, He says, O God, you know my folly, the wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Um, But of course the rest of the passage, as I've said, shows that this is not, uh, that what they're accusing him of is completely untrue. Um, That what they really hate him for, of course, is his godly character. Um, And so naturally you can understand that all this pains David. Um, As we've seen, he's uh, felt like he's drowning, he's uh, in pain. Uh, But of course, um, we see there in verse 6 that he's not just praying for himself, uh, but also about how it reflects on how other people see God and and other Christians. Uh, Verse 6, Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. David's not just concerned about his own reputation, but God's too. 
He's also worried that other people, other believers will get discouraged and dishonored because of his experiences. <clears throat> but having said all that, um, his prayer is primarily very personal. Um, we'll move down again to verse 13. Um, because thir- verses 13 to 15 really bring out that point. But as for me, says David, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Um, And so here we read again, uh, David's reiterating his desperate cries, uh, recapping almost what he's already said. He needs God to answer him and rescue him from his distress. Um, If we continue reading verses 16 to the first half of verse 20, we uh, continue to hear his desperation. Uh, Listen to the tone as um, as I read those verses. Verse 16 onwards, Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul, redeem me, ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. David's heart is on his sleeve here. He needs God. He's begging God. God, please answer me, he says. Why aren't you answering? You know what I'm going through. Please answer me. As far as David can tell, despite all his reproach, all his enemies, all his despair, God has made no effort to answer him. This has been clearly going on for some time as well. Long enough that depression has well and truly set in. But that doesn't make him give up. Instead, he just keeps on knocking more loudly. Um, Again, we're sort of reminded of that uh, parable that Hans read out to us earlier, the parable of the persistent widow. Like the, the widow, David won't stop coming to God until he gets an answer. According to the rest of verse 20, he's... I tried to find pity and comfort from those around him, but they ignored him. I looked for pity, he says, but there was none and for comforters, but I found none. Um, So he's desperate for help, uh, and he now has no other option except God. Um, One more final detail is given in verse 21 of his situation. He says, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. Uh, Now, bearing in mind that this is a poem, it could uh, literally be that they poisoned his food and drink, or more likely that they, uh, the emotional pain they caused made his food taste poisoned and his wine taste sour. Uh, But either way, you get the idea that they've caused David intense suffering, um, and suffering in, in summary that is primarily deep and emotional. Um, And so now he's calling on the one person that he knows can help. The one person he knows is on his side, and that's God. So at this point we then come to the next uh, section of this psalm. David's cry for justice. 
Of course, we've seen so far that David's situation is manifestly unjust. Um, And so because of that, David is calling on God to save him. He's told God what the problem is, and now in verse 22, he turns his attention to proposing a solution. Um, Now, just as a side note, this section of Psalm 69 is what we might what we uh, call imprecatory, Um, and that's a technical word, um, that it refers to a prayer that asks for God's judgment on evil people. Um, So you might hear that, um, might hear me say that a few times from now on, imprecatory, and that's what it means. It's a prayer that God uh, would bring judgment on people. Um, And the Bible has a surprisingly high number of these sort of prayers. Um, but at the same, but having said that, you sort of, um, I reckon if there was ever a section that we might feel justified cutting out of our Bibles, it would probably be these sort of prayers. As much as we know that God is the judge and we uh, would affirm that wholeheartedly and unashamedly, um, we're also familiar, of course, with, de- with Jesus' teachings. Um, in Matthew 5, for example, he said, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, and so on. Um, And so, given that, we'll uh, later on get to asking whether we as New Testament Christians should actually pray these sorts of prayers. But first, um, as we look at Psalm 69, we need to look at what David is praying for and why, and then we'll find why the Bible is not ashamed of imprecatory prayers. Uh, Because the reason for that is that the centre of this prayer is a prayer for justice, not a prayer of personal anger, a prayer for God's justice. Let's start by reading verses 22 and 23. David says, Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. And now note in these verses that David's request is proportional to what they did to him. Uh, David's food uh, was poisoned in verse 21, um, so he calls in verse 22 for their table to be a snare. According to verse 3, his own eyes grew dim, so he calls for theirs to be darkened as well in verse 23. And verse 2 tells us that David felt like he was drowning. Um, And then he received no comfort down in verse 20, so he calls also for them to live in the same constant fear. Uh, The ESV says, uh, make their loins tremble, um, which comes from the original Hebrew, or you might have the NIV, which says bend their backs, um, which comes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Um, And the idea of both phrases is that they would live in fear. Um, So David's experiences and the punishments he calls for are both figurative, um, but the point is that the punishment fits the crime. Uh, What David is calling for here is fair, it's just, and it's perfectly in line with the judicial system under the Mosaic law. Uh, uh, In Exodus 21 and Deuteronomy 19, we read of the eye-for-eye system where the punishment that someone receives is uh, exactly what they did to someone else. Um, So David is not asking for vengeance or for his anger to be meted out. He's asking for justice. Um, We see then 
uh, as we read verse 24, that he's not just asking for, his, for justice by himself, but from God. He says, pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. Uh, again, David is not be praying to be able to take out his anger on his enemies, nor is he asking for a blessing from God on his own personal vendetta. Rather, he leaves justice entirely in God's hands. Uh, we actually see this um, as we study uh, the life of David. Um, in 1 Samuel 24 and 26, um, both, time, both chapters David was given an opportunity to kill Saul, um, who was uh, the king that was trying to kill him. Uh, but in both cases, David refused to kill Saul by himself. Um, and instead, he let God bring Saul down in his own good timing. First uh, Samuel 24, verse 12, um, in that verse, after his first opportunity, David said to Saul, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Notice he did want justice, but he wanted God's justice. <clears throat> Uh, back in Psalm 69, let's continue reading um, from verse 25. May there camp be a desolation, let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment, may they have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out from the book of the living, let them not be enrolled among the righteous. Um, now, you'd be forgiven for thinking these verses are a lot harder. Um, indeed, they are. Uh, they don't seem as reasonable or fair or proportional as, as the previous verses did. Um, but one thing we've got to remember as we study this, ver these, uh, this psalm is that David was God's anointed king. He was indeed ruling on behalf of God himself. Um, and so in a very real sense... It was truer about David than most others that reproaches directed at God fell on him. And the reproaches that David encountered were in fact indirectly or directly directed at God. <coughs> and that's why he expected God to take the issue especially seriously. Um, in First Samuel 24 and 26, uh, part of the reason David was so hesitant to kill Saul was because at that point David, Saul was in fact king. First uh, Samuel 26 verse 9, uh, he said, Who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Um, indeed, that was so, in many ways prophetic against uh, those who would attack David himself. The harsh punishment is appropriate, uh, not because they attacked just any old person, but because they attacked David, God's appointed representative ruler on earth at the time. Um, but it would be inappropriate then for anyone else to pray what David prayed. Uh, but the point is then that if you mess with God's anointed king, you mess with God himself. Um, and so David prays that God would take his injustice seriously. So then, uh, we've seen David's cry of desperation and now we've seen his cry for justice. Um, so that leads us to the final few verses of this psalm, David's cry for help, uh, David's cry of hope, sorry. 
bringing us back to the same point that he left off in verse uh, 21. But what follows now is very different from where he left off in the first section. Let's read verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Uh, Now in isolation, this verse sounds like a wonderful, joyful song of praise far removed from the despair described earlier in the psalm. But in this context, it uh, becomes something very different entirely. Uh, We sang earlier, um, it is well with my soul, and uh, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Um, And and again, like uh, on its own, this is a wonderful hymn of joy and praise and peace. Um, But when you know that Horatio Spafford, when he wrote that, was virtually standing where his children had died only a few weeks beforehand, uh, it becomes a far deeper and more astounding declaration of unshakable faith that he could write that in such a terrible, terrible situation. I mean, the same is true of this section of Psalm 69. It is a declaration of deep, deep faith. Faith in who God is. Uh, He gives us some reasons uh, for this promise of praise in the next few verses. Uh, Verse 31 uh, is the first reason. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. Uh, Firstly, David says, I will will praise God uh, because that's what God desires. Uh, Throughout the Old Testament, um, there's uh, quite a few verses that tell us that the true sacrifices of God are God-fearing, God-pleasing heart attitudes. Um, and so David says that he will uh, praise God because that, uh, sorry, uh, because it pleases and glorifies God um, and because that's what David wants to do. Uh, the second reason we read in verse 32, <clears throat> when the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Uh, That is, David will praise God because it encourages others to trust him. I remember that uh, back in verse 6, one of David's fears in all this is that others will be discouraged from trusting in God. Um, So now in verse 32, David has uh, realized, I guess, to prevent this from happening, he should display his own trust in God to others uh, by praising God before them and and thus exemplify the hope that he uh, wants them to have Um, but when we're when we're depressed and anxious um, often we know we should praise God don't we Um, for those reasons and for others Um, but we don't feel like we really can praise God Um, and so I think in personally I think the verse 33 is uh, in fact the most helpful reason that David can praise God He says, for the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. 
what a wonderful statement about who God is. David is able to praise God because of his immense confidence that God has heard and will answer his prayer. Uh, note, note that we have no indication that God actually has answered his prayer. David's confidence is not in what God actually has done, but in what he knows about who God is. God is a God who hears those in need. God is a God who does not despise his people. God is a God who especially cares for his people when they are oppressed. Um, And so we'll read the last few verses um, now where David closes this psalm by fulfilling the promise that he made to praise God. He says, Let heaven and earth praise him. Let the the seas and everything that moves in them, for God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Uh, Just as he has promised, David leads all creation in praise praise of God for his faithfulness to his people. Uh, Note again that there is still no indication that God has answered David's prayer yet. David's praise is dependent on the faithfulness he knows God has towards his people, not whether or not he actually sees that faithfulness in his life. Even in his desperation, even in the injustice of his life, David is completely confident of the faithfulness of God. And because of that, his desperate cry for justice is also a hopeful cry. <clears throat> so that's our overview of this psalm. Um, but be- before we uh, get to the application, we must bear in mind that this passage actually comes up quite a lot in the New Testament. Um, that's because Jesus, as the son of David, as God's anointed king, Um, Jesus personally identified with many of the psalms that David wrote. Um, His favourites, it seems, are the ones that get quoted the most, are Psalm 22, Psalm 110, um, and, you guessed it, Psalm 69. Uh, Those three psalms, more than any others, are quoted and alluded to in the New Testament uh, because they illustrate and foreshadow truths about Jesus. Um, So as I said, before we get to the application, it's important for us to look at how this psalm is also a portrait of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Firstly, um, one aspect is that uh, Jesus' situation closely mirrored David's. In fact, Jesus himself uh, quoted this psalm in John chapter 15 um, when he was talking about how the world hates him and how that will extend to his disciples. And he quoted then Psalm 69, verse 4. The word that is written in their law, he said, must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Uh, Indeed, there are many other parallels between the details of this psalm and and Jesus' own experience. Um, We uh, see verses 8, 9 and 21, for example, uh, come up, the, the ideas of those come up in the New Testament. Um, for example, when Jesus' family opposed his ministry, um, like verse 8, he, uh, like verse 9, he showed his passion for God's house in cleansing the temple. 
Um, like verse 21, he was given sour wine to drink while on the cross. Um, and so on. Um, and secondly, there are important parallels in how David and Jesus responded in prayer as well. Uh, Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane was like Psalm 69, an extremely emotional prayer that God would save him. Uh, like David, in spite of all of the injustice he experienced, Jesus continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. Uh, that's what 1 Peter 2 verse 23 says. Um, the third aspect that parallels Jesus um, is that God worked in Jesus' situation in exactly the way that David prayed. Uh, verses 22 to 25 are quoted in the New Testament to describe God's judgment on those who killed Jesus. Um, and as verse 29 uh, prays, Jesus was also set on high by God's salvation when he was rose, raised from the dead and exalted by God. Um, but despite these parallels, there are also significant differences between David and Jesus. Uh, we can't just uh, assume that Jesus uh, exactly was exactly the same as David in this psalm. Because while David confessed his sin in sinfulness in verse 5, Jesus was perfectly sinless. Uh, and while David prayed for God's wrath to come on his enemies, Luke 23, 20, 34 tells us that Jesus prayed for God's forgiveness of them. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Remember, he prayed that even from the cross. Uh, but even still, uh, it is clear that this psalm resonated very strongly with Christ. Um, and as I said, that's because just like David, Jesus was God's anointed king. Um, and just like David, Jesus was cruelly and unjustly hated for his association with God. Uh, now, there are a couple of reasons uh, why this is significant for us as we study this psalm. Uh, firstly, it reminds us that Jesus endured the same hatred as David. Um, you may have been resonating with the pain and hatred that David described in this psalm. I mean, if you are encouraged by the fact that David experienced the same pain as you, how much more so that Jesus himself did? Um, and secondly, it shows us that uh, Jesus is our example as well as we follow in the same suffering he endured, um, as he promised um, and just before talking about the injustice of Jesus' suffering, which so closely mirrors Psalm 69, 1 Peter 2 verse 21 says, To this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. If you have been resonating with Jesus and David's sufferings, not only can you be encouraged by the fact that they experienced the same pain, but you can also find an example in the way Jesus suffered. Uh, however, seeing this psalm as a portrait of Jesus uh, should also caution us as we come to applying this psalm to our own lives. Um, as I said earlier, there, were, uh, there are some aspects of this psalm that were uniquely true for David as the king of Israel in his day. Um, and now they are uniquely true of Jesus alone. He is the Messiah, the true son of David, the only eternal king. <coughs> so 
So then, now that we have a grasp of what David wrote in this psalm, I mean, we also have an understanding of how that foreshadowed Jesus. Uh, Now we can turn our attention to its application. Uh, If Psalm 69 is a psalm of David and a portrait of Christ, can it be a prayer of Christians? Well, the short answer is yes, and in a moment we'll look at how. Um, But first it's important to note that this prayer can only be a prayer of Christians. If you have not If you have not asked God to save you from sin, you cannot ask God to save you from anything else. Uh, Psalm 32 verse 6, for example, says, Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. And what a wonderful promise this is for anyone who is godly. Um, But those who are not godly cannot cannot find comfort in it. Um, And apart from Christ, of course, no one is godly. Um, So with that in mind, if you are not a Christian today, there is no comfort or hope to be found in this psalm for you. I mean, indeed, all the promise that you can claim from this psalm is found in verses 22 to 28. Because along with every other human to have ever walked this earth, in your thoughts and desires and actions, you have made yourself an enemy of God's King Jesus. Uh, and Jesus' enemies have, will be crushed as justice required and as verses 22 to 28 describe. However, as I, mentioned above, as I mentioned earlier, even on the cross, Jesus prayed for mercy on his enemies. And on the cross, he won the right to grant that mercy. Jesus didn't just suffer as an example for us, um, which is, as I said earlier, that's what 1 Peter 2 tells us. Um, But it doesn't stop there because verse 24 of 1 Peter 2 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Uh, Because of all that, you can find mercy if you ask him today. Now, of course, if you do, you will open yourself up to the same hatred and reproach that this psalm talks about. But in that there is hope. Because if you have received and believed Jesus' offer of mercy, God will show his favour towards you. Because he has made you godly through Jesus' death. And therefore he offers hope and help to you. Um, so that with all that as background, we, uh, we come back to the question of how we as Christians can find hope in this psalm. How can we use this psalm to bring our own situations before God? Uh, Well, as I've mentioned before, the first thing um, to note, of course, as we apply this psalm, is that David's situation and Jesus' situation um, is in many many cases very relatable to our lives. Uh, Many of you know what it's like to be ostracized before believing in Jesus. Some of you fear for your job security because you hold to biblical truths. Some of you are slandered and mocked for the sake of God. Some of you even know the heartbreaking pain of experiencing all this in the context of close family. Uh, And of course, as time goes on, I'm sure more and more of us will be able to relate to those situations and other similar ones. So... Uh, If we can relate to this situation, 
we ask, how did David respond to it? Well, he took it to God in prayer. As verse 13 says, as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. How did Jesus respond in this similar situation? Uh, Well, as I said earlier, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus knew what he was about to face, um, betrayal, rejection and pain beyond what any other person had ever known. Uh, And so he too agonized in prayer to God. He cried out to God, lifting up his agony to to his Father. Um, And so we too, as we uh, meet these situations, we should bring our distress to God in prayer. In a few moments we're going to close with the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Uh, And I can't put this truth any better than that. uh, Let me uh, recite that hymn. It says, Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laid and cumbered with a load of prayer? Precious Saviour, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee, take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou will find a solace there. Um, so as we uh, then bring, our, bring these things to God in prayer, um, we can find in Psalm 69 some guidelines um, as we do that. Uh, firstly, we see that David has no uh, hesitation in lifting up his distress in personal emotional language. Um, of course, we know that praying for others is important. Um, we, it's a wonderful thing as well to pray together. But there, of course, is a time and a place for praying personally as well. Uh, look at all the singular pronouns even in the first couple of verses. Save me, O God. The waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Uh, we read there are five references uh, to me in, that, in just those first couple of verses. Um, and even only one reference to God. Uh, when we have personal distress, we can be bold to pray personally for ourselves. Uh, like David in verse 6 We should also be concerned about God's honour and others' spiritual well-being. Uh, But remember, that's only one verse in uh, the 36 verses of this psalm. Uh, We can can and still um, should just pray for our own situations. Well, not just pray, but we can pray for our own situations. Uh, We also see very emotional uh, imagery. Uh, We a lot of hyperbole in this psalm. Again, it's, it's good to have things in perspective sometimes, but um, sometimes that's just, uh, we need to just pray and express to God how we are feeling. Um, he will provide perspective later as the Holy Spirit calms us and comforts us as we pray to him. Uh, moving on then, we see that uh, we should tell God exactly what's going on. Um, we know from verse 19 and other passages in the Bible that prayer isn't telling God anything he doesn't already know. Um, but still that doesn't stop David from telling God exactly what he is experiencing. He gives details, he gives examples, he gives explanations of exactly what he is going through himself. Uh, we can lift up our prayers just as we see them to God. Uh, how should we imply 
apply the imprecatory section, um, especially given that Jesus prayed about his enemies in a very different way to David. Uh, Well, the teaching of the New Testament is that we should follow Jesus' example in loving our enemies and praying for their forgiveness. Uh, Romans 12 verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Um, But having said that, uh, at the same time, there is a place for the pursuit of justice. Um, That is the eternal justice of the righteous judge, uh, not the imperfect justice of a personal vendetta or even necessarily um, an earthly justice in a court of law. Um, But in Revelation 6 verse 10, um, we read of even perfect souls of martyrs praying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Asking for God for justice is not a wrong thing. But even then we must be careful to continue to love our enemies and do good to them, just as Romans 12 teaches. And like David, our desire for justice should not be rooted in our own anger, but in the inherent goodness and uh, the inherent goodness of justice and the way that it honors God. Uh, now having said that, there is a tension here. How can we pray for justice and mercy on our enemies? Well, this tension is resolved in the cross. In Jesus' death, justice and mercy are both fully satisfied. That's because when Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree, as Peter says, he was punished as if those sins that he bore were his own. Justice was done when Jesus was killed for other people's sins, and mercy was made possible in that. And now I say made possible because while you and I may have received that mercy, those who are still God's enemies have not. They may yet receive God's mercy, and we hope that they do, but they may not as well. Um, and so then we should pray um, that, God, that through Jesus God's mercy will be seen in our enemies or that otherwise that God will bring his justice on them. And um, finally, Psalm 69 teaches us to praise God in our prayers. Once again, David's desperate cry of justice. <coughs> uh, it ended in a song of praise, not because God answered his prayer, but because he knew that God would answer. God does not abandon his people. He did not abandon Jesus even after he died, but raised him from the dead on the third day. And God will not abandon you either. You can be sure of that. So let your desperate cry for justice also culminate in a prayer of hope. Uh, Now you might think that that's impossible. um, And that's why the prayer doesn't start there, I guess. But as you bear your soul before God, as you lift up your concerns to him, he may, sorry, he will lead you to trust him and to hope in him and praise him just as David did. Uh, Now, you may be here and you're not going through trials like this. Um, And if that's you, then uh, it falls on you to ensure that verse 20 there is not true of anyone here in this church. Uh, David said, I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. Uh, But may we always be ready to be a comforter for our struggling brothers and sisters, so that no one may experience David's loneliness and despair. 
2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 says that God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And now, as I mentioned earlier, David felt like God was not listening to his desperate cry. Um, His throat was parched, he was worn out, and his eyes were dim with waiting for God. Um, And so, so like David, um, and as uh, the the parable in Luke 18 says, uh, we should also be prepared to pray always and not lose heart. And as Luke 18 says, will, God give, will not God give justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, says Jesus, he will give justice to them speedily. So pray to God. Pray for justice. Pray continually and do not lose heart because God has promised that he will bring justice speedily to those who are hated for his sake. And with that in mind, let's close in prayer. Sovereign God, like David, we do uh, cry to you from the deep waters. Um, Lord, there are uh, maybe many here who know the, the pain of sadness, the distress of desperation, the hatred of those close to us. And so we pray, Lord, will you not bring justice to your elect, those who cry to you day and night? Lord, will you delay long over us? God, we thank you that you will not delay long over us speedily. And we thank you that in the meantime you're not waiting because you're ignoring us, but you're waiting so that you may have mercy on those who are still your enemies now, those who are our enemies for your sake. Lord, we thank you for the cross where justice and mercy meet and are fully satisfied. Uh, Lord, uh, you hear our prayers, you know our pain, and you've written it for us here in your word. So may that knowledge, Lord, drive us to bring every care before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.